right, welcome back to Nerd is the New Cool. I'm Justin, and with me as always is John. What's going on, buddy? Well, not much, man. How are you? How have you been? You know, I can't complain. Uh, it's pretty hot outside, so I'm trying to stay inside as much as possible. Yes. The next week's supposed to get really hot. It actually wasn't too bad this morning, but it's going to yeah. be in like the mid to high 90s for the rest of the week. Your definition of morning is different than my definition of morning, so I don't I don't generally see those those cool temperatures. So yeah, yeah, my, it's like seven. I ran at seven thirty this morning. Did you really? Yes, I did. Well, you know, I did get up early yesterday and exercise because I played golf yesterday at like ten a.m. So I had to get up at like seven, but that was That's a rare good. instance. Oh, you're on rare. summer break. Yeah, I've been on summer break for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a lot of us are. So, all right. So let's let's start off. Let's what do we what do we just nerd out on? So, I, okay. First of all, we should mention, of course, you know what this episode's most likely about. It's about the 2010s, the last decade of our decade of television series, which is pretty the exciting, final. Right? The final episode of the series. We're finally we're wrapping it up. Yeah, and it, I had a really hard time choosing. I say this for every decade, but I'm serious. It's gotten progressively harder for me. I think that the nineties was a bit lot about nostalgia and these last two decades, man, all these are just shows I've just watched from start to finish. And honestly, I had a hard time choosing a specific show to talk about in depth today. So what I just started out on just so happens to be also a show from the 2010s and it's called Mr. Robot. Now, a lot of people haven't seen this show, so I wouldn't be surprised if you, have you actually seen this show? Lambert? I have not seen this show. Yeah. Like I said, it's not very shocking, but it's an incredibly highly acclaimed show. And it, it, so this is according to IMDb, it, the, 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 the summary of it, Elliot, a brilliant high, high, sorry, Elliot, a brilliant but highly unstable young cybersecurity engineer and vigilante hacker becomes a key figure in a complex game of global dominance when he and his shadowy, shadowy allies try to take down the corrupt corporation he works for. So it's basically, it starts out about a hacker and kind of taking down what's called E-Corp or Evil Corp, which the logo looks very much like Enron's logo, which I know is done <laughs> on purpose. And I, after that, it's just, a, it's just a litany of things that happen. And there's all this like dark web references. And, and it's actually pretty amazing. It debuted June 24th, 2015 on USA. And it ran for 46 episodes. And the finale was really pretty recently december 22nd 2019 and it's written and directed by this gentleman named sam Esmail. and this dude hasn't done a whole lot but man the coolest thing about it is every episode seems like it has its own special feel to it and it kind of goes it just goes back and forth between you know highly visual uh, visual to just straight t- storytelling to like single camera to i mean it just Every episode has a has almost like its own like feature film feel, which is just really cool. And you know, it stars. This isn't where he got his start, but Rami Malek plays Elliot, and I think most people know him now, obviously from Bohemian Rhapsody. Before that, I knew him from The Pacific in Night at the Museum. Yeah, I knew him from The Pacific. That's when I first kind of got to yeah, know him. Totally, and my and I, I my wife loves him from Night at the Museum, probably because he's shirtless the whole film. And it's also got so it's also got a couple other heavy hitters. It's got Christian Slater, who plays Mr. Robot, and I, you know I, I could go off of all the things he's done in his in his career. I think most of us know Christian Slater, especially from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, of course, and Gleaming the Cube, and Gleaming the Cube. <laughs> See, it's some deep cuts right there. That is a deep cut. It's got uh, Carly uh, Chaikin plays Darlene, which is his sister. It's got Martin Wallstrom, who plays this guy named Tyrell, who runs E-Corp, or he's like the CFO of E-Corp, and he's crazy, and he plays in all these other Swedish films and television. That's where he's where he got to start. It's got a person called Portia Doubleday, which you may have heard of her before. Um, she plays um, his uh, like best friend, best young friend um, from grade school or whatever. She's from Youth and Revolt in the movie called Her. And it's got a few other people, and it's actually got Grace Gummer, and if you don't know who Grace Gummer is, she is Meryl Streep's daughter, one of her daughters. And uh, lastly, it's got B.D. Wong. And I just love B.D. Wong. And he plays such, he plays like the, the uber villain in this, in this show named White Rose. And 
you know, BD Wong, man, that, that guy has been in a ton of stuff. And I think a lot of people probably know him for law and order. And I know him from Jurassic park, right? Jurassic park. And he does play a, especially in the, the, the newer ones, he plays a pretty good, you know, he's kind of a bad guy in that. Oh yeah. yeah. No, he, he, he has become a bad guy now. Stealing, mm-hmm. stealing all the DNA. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. If you haven't seen Jurassic world. Sorry. Um, it's, yeah, right. It's it's okay. You kind of figured that was going to happen. Like it's not that. It's pretty transparent. Couple thoughts on it. First of all, it's won a bunch of awards. It won the Golden Globe for Best Television Series in 2016. Remy Malek has won an Emmy for the lead actor in a drama series, and it also got a primetime Emmy for outstanding music composition for a series, which like totally makes sense because again, the music is amazing. Just everything about it, the way it's written, the cinematography, the cleverness. It's one of those shows that you're like, well, how can this possible conflict be drawn out for 10 more episodes because it seems like there's already a resolution and then just total left turns in the show and that's what kind of makes it so great and entertaining so if you haven't watched mr robot i would recommend you go check that out i'll have to go check that out i've got a got a long list of things to watch and i'm just slow slowly but surely whittling it down well, in the two the two shows I spoke, I, I'm going to talk about today, Mr. Robot and the next one as well. I chose them because they're they're kind of obscure shows, but they're incredibly well received, and, and because of so so many of the other big shows that kind of came out during this decade, they're often overlooked. So, uh, you know, we're going to do some deep cuts of shows that if you haven't heard of these, definitely go. Uh, they're get, they're getting the Hildebrand stamp of approval. Nice. So yeah, so. What did I just nerd out on? Uh, took a little different turn, uh, and I just nerded out on a podcast, and it's a podcast called Origins with James Andrew Miller, and uh, he did a kind of a series of podcasts on Almost Famous. So we did a, a five-episode podcast celebrating, because it's the 20-year anniversary of Almost Famous, which I ripped this from his website, quote, brings you behind the scenes of, Cam- of the Cameron Crowe classic that puts us on the bus with Stillwater and taught us what li- life on the road with a rock and roll band was all about. Not to mention adolescent love and heartbreak. Did you so watch it, this or um, did you listen to this before or after we, we did the Zeppelin episode? Uh, I listened, it, This just came out on July 8th. And, uh, okay. and uh, like, <laughs> what, three days ago? Two days, yeah. four days ago? And it's, then I finished it. It's pretty good timing is what I'm saying. Like that's, that's pretty, pretty related it, it to what is, we talked about. It's very eerie timing that like he, I guess he had been working on this for a while and he does this kind of stuff periodically. So this was, I think this was season, he, he calls them seasons. So this was his sixth season. Uh, so it was done by James Andrew Miller, who is an, an author, an investigative journalist. He kind of dabbled in a little bit of like Hollywood stuff, like television and movies. But this is, you know, not necessarily primarily what he does, but you know, I think primarily he's an author. Uh, so he's done previous season, seasons, and he's done one on Curb Your Enthusiasm, ESPN, Alabama Football, Saturday Night Live, and Sex in the City. He's also written books on ESPN and SNL, and he he did say in his and during this he said his next book is going to be about HBO and like kind of the the history and the origins and like like about all about HBO. And uh, it stars, obviously, James Andrew Miller, the host. But he also had Cameron Crowe, the director, who also directed Jerry Maguire singles and Say Anything. Billy Crudup from Watchmen, Big Fish, and The Good Shepherd. Jason Lee from Mall Rats and Chasing Amy. Kate Hudson, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Bride Wars. Francis McDormand from Fargo and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Zoe Deschanel from The New Girl and Trolls. Patrick Fugit who's also in First Man and Gone Girl, and Jimmy Fallon from SNL and The Tonight Show, as well as Nancy Wilson from Heart, who was actually Cameron Crowe's ex-wife, who helped out with the film, and then Peter Frampton. And if you don't know who Peter Frampton is, go look him up. He was kind of a, he was almost like a rock and roll consultant for the entire movie. So they had all these people in. It was a five-episode podcast that went from like, they talked about casting, and then they talked about like rock and roll camp, and then the then filming and production and then kind of 20 years later like what it meant with all of them kind of chiming in on like how we came up with the script and just kind of really did kind of a, a really good history of all the work that went into doing the movie they actually shot it in chronological order and it took them 
five months to shoot the movie. There were no reshoots. So everything that they had, like that was it. He didn't have any money at the end of it. And um, it was just really interesting to hear some of the behind the scenes and kind of how, like how casting was done. Cause originally it was going to be, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. It was Brad Pitt was attached to this movie. He was going to play Billy Crudup's part. And then for no apparent reason, he dropped out like after being attached to the movie for months. And then Billy Crudup came in and, you know, kind of did it. And um, Man, it was just really cool. Billy Crudup is so good in this movie. And I'm sure Brad Pitt would have, would have, would have knocked out of the park too, but it's hard to envision. He's almost like he's, 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 he's too grungy. Like Brad Pitt's too pretty or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, and, and a lot of it, that's, that's, you know, kind of the underlying theme of the story is that all these pieces came into place, like fell into place perfectly to, to make this movie. Kate Hudson wasn't originally going to be Penny Lane. She was cast for another part. And then the person who was in Penny Lane fell out and then she slides into that. And then Zoe Deschanel comes in. So it's, all these moving pieces and everything. And it was actually Jimmy Fallon's first movie ever. I mean, I, I'm looking at this list of, of people that were in the film that were in the, that obviously were in the podcast as well. But it's not, is, yeah. It's not even everybody cast. that was in the film. It was just, this is just who were in the podcast. Like it doesn't have everybody else that was in the movie. It doesn't yeah. have, um, you know, Feruza Balk. It doesn't have, it doesn't have Anna Paquin. She wasn't on it, but like they were two, you know, two of the band-aids. So, if you, again, we've said this before on this podcast, if you haven't seen Almost Famous, go out and see it. If you have seen Almost Famous and you did enjoy the movie, check out this podcast because it really does give you some good insight onto like how it would made and how it was, it's, and it still is, you know, a special movie 20 years later. I'm adding it to my list basically this very second for a lot of reasons because I love the Cameron Crowe angle and just everything that he's done in this film is amazing. But also, I'm kind of, I kind of like a, a crush on Zoe Deschanel, and also Jason Lee. So, uh, yeah, that sounds that fun, sounds pretty amazing. Fun fact: Jason Lee was a professional skateboarder before he somehow got into acting, kind of by chance. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So he's also Stan Lee's grandfather, grandson. So he's got a lot of fun facts. <laughs> cool all right well good deal so let's get into the 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 meat of the potatoes of the, of the of the episode and again just to remind you this is our final tv through decade series 2010s but of course we are going to continue to talk about television shows and so as we're going through this list in a second just just realize that we recognize there are so many amazing shows on this list there's no way we could talk about all of them in one podcast so we've kind of purposefully not spoken about certain shows so we can kind of circle back around to them later and some of them we've already kind of touched on as well in the past so don't, don't be mad we haven't necessarily chosen the best show of the decade we've chosen the most interesting ones to talk about at this time right true at least that's what true. i did i don't know i don't know what you did <laughs> that's what i did I, I mean i had i'll get into my reason for choosing the show but i mean i i didn't want to choose kind of i didn't want to make like an obvious pick I wanted right. to go off the beaten path a little bit, but still a very quality television show. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the background of the beginning of 2010s. And it wasn't that long ago, but man, technology has changed so much in 10 years. It's pretty insane. So you think about it at the beginning of the decade, honestly, 3D TV was kind of the thing. And it seemed like that was going to be film, television. It was booming definitely in the theaters. And a lot of companies and cable networks kind of thought that watching live television and even like creating certain televisions to have like, um, you know, differently shaped so they can have like a larger viewing screen and set up for 3D, 3D television. That was kind of the way that a lot of companies thought that, that the evolution was going and it just, it just didn't happen. No, it, it, I'm glad it didn't happen because I didn't, I wasn't a fan of 3D movies. I hate, I hate 3D. I, I, honestly, there are very few films that I, like Avatar, of course, that was the first one. Like that was cool, I guess, to watch it, but I don't know. I, I get a headache. Things flying at me the whole time. <laughs> Just, you know, and honestly, the worst you can do, go to three, go to a 3d IMAX. No, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's pretty bad too, but 3d Omnimax, like at the science center. Oh, there you go. Gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I had a headache for four days after that. I mean, I feel like All I was hung over. It's yeah. coming at you from everywhere. 
I thought I was hungover. My neck hurt. Uh, it was awful. Sorry. So, no, it's <laughs> so also during this decade, you know, something became popular. Cord cutting became a popular thing. But while many people cut cords, according to Nielsen data, 96.1% of homes in 2019 still have televisions that receive traditional television signals via over-the-air cable, DBS, or telco, or via broadband internet connection to a TV set, like an app. Right, right. So that, and that's the thing is that a lot of it is transitioned to apps, and, and, I, and now everything's being streamed in some way. And of course, there are still cables. A lot of people, I mean, our, our parents, our parents' parents, you know, there are many generations. It's, and even if you have little kids, it's kind of easy to have some cable and not to mess, mess with all the different streaming services but i mean people still tune in television but something that did change is that a lot of people started watching television on different platforms and what i mean by that is using laptops phones and ipads as kind of their primary viewing devices which was a huge change yeah well on demand you can well you can watch it anywhere and as a result the number of tv shows exploded the amount of content is is just unprecedented right now and original programming debuted for Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. And we also saw the like we were saying the same thing from, you know, especially at the end of the decade, Apple Plus, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Spectrum is starting to put out original content. So Pe- I, I think, Peacock, Peacock, yeah, yeah, Peacock Network's coming out too. So ESPN, well, I mean, ESPN was putting out original content, but now you have ESPN Plus. So it's just. I think everybody's starting to look at that as kind of the wave of the future. So now everybody's investing in not only displaying other people's content, but also creating their own. Yeah. And there's honestly just so much to watch nowadays. It's almost, it's almost overwhelming for an avid television watcher like myself. It's hard. It's hard to know what to tackle. And so instead of knowing what to tackle, I just watch Parks and Rec again. (laughs) I I watch that. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm rewatching The Wire because Megan. Yeah, exactly. Seen it. So yeah, that's what I'm watching right now. That's good. So, at the beginning of the decade, and again, it wasn't that long ago, but listing these some of these television shows, it seems like it's been a while. In 2010, 2011, the top ten TV shows were number one, American Idol, Wednesday nights, Dancing with the Stars, American Idol, Thursday night, and then Sunday night football, always football on there. NCIS, the the straight NCIS, then Dancing with the Stars, The Results Show, and then NCIS Los Angeles. And then finally, number eight was The Mentalist, Body Proof, number nine, and the top ten, number ten was Criminal Minds. A lot of, a lot of CBS-type shows on here. <laughs> so you've got basically reality TV, crime dramas, and football. Right. That's it. <laughs> That's the top 10 right there. So let's talk about the top 10 at the end of the decade, 2019-2020. Number one, Sunday Night Football. Number two, regular NCIS. Number three, Thursday Night Football. Number four, Monday Night Football. I mean, there's definitely still still a pretty clear theme. And again, these are the Nielsen ratings, so these, are not ne- these aren't necessarily telling of what everyone's watching, but Nielsen ratings... FBI, which is on CBS, was number five. Blue Bloods, Chicago Fire, This Is Us is number eight. And then Young Sheldon at number nine. And then a tie for Chicago PD and Chicago Med at number 10. Mega would love to see that because she likes all three of those. Because And they'll, they'll do a lot of crossover events between those three and sometimes combining all three. So it's just it's crazy. Yeah. I didn't realize there were there were three of them: Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, and Chicago Med. Wow! There there are three of them, and they're all I, on the same night. I mean, are they all on the same night? Are they? <laughs> they're like I think they're back to back to back. I think oh I don't know. I'd have to bring up the expert, but that's uh, yeah, pretty impressive. I, I think so. Wow. Well, I mean, again, at the end of the decade, we also see some some pretty clear patterns. We've got football, the NFL. We've got crime dramas for the most part and i guess you could throw in like the pd of the med there but it's still kind of a very similar in fire it's a very similar and it's, theme and it's drama-esque i mean they're still all dramas it's and like one gra- comedy it's like the Grey's anatomy and then we throw in young sheldon yeah <laughs> so of course we need to talk about the top 20 stream shows of 2019 and so at the very top we've got a show called lucifer 
which I actually haven't seen, but I, I have heard good things. It's a CW type show. So, you know, I like those kind of shows. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Stranger Things, 13 Reasons Why, Money Heist. And then Orange is the New Black, Handmaiden's Tale, Sex Education. I've not seen Elite. I haven't even heard of that one. I haven't either, actually. Number nine is You, which I have heard of that one. It's, it's supposed to be really creepy <laughs> and chilling. And that's actually number 10, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, the Umbrella Academy, Black Mirror is number 12. And number 13 is Dark. And then Marvel's The Punisher, which is one of the few on this list I have seen. Great show. Atypical. And then Love, Death, and Robots. And rounding out the top 20, Mindhunter. Number 18 is Jessica Jones. Marvel's S. Jessica Jones. Big Mouth at 19. And The Society at 20. And I've seen quite a few of these. And these are, I mean, you know, again, they're stream shows. So most of these are on Netflix. There are a few that are on Amazon Prime. I think maybe so one on or two Hulu. On, on Hulu, right? So yeah, Handmaid's Tale is on Hulu, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. So good shows, right there, just streaming. Well, that's just the top twenty, right? So let's talk about again. We we mentioned it at the beginning. We can't do a deep dive into every single show, but we at least wanted to give a shout out to some of the other notable shows, of which there are plenty from the 2010s decade. So there's The Good Wife, Baskets, Banshee, Men of a Certain Age. By the way, I've, I've taken this list and I've shown it to my wife, and this is kind of going to be a, a, a checklist type thing. Not all of these, but there are a lot on here that we've, we've said we need to watch, and then we just kind of forget. And so this is a good place to kind of... So for those of you who are, are not necessarily into the, the, the shows we're going to talk about today in depth, here's a good list for you to check off. We've also got New Girl, which I'm obsessed with, Parenthood, Jane the Virgin, Gravity Falls, Transparent, and then Steven Universe, which wasn't even a show I knew existed until, and this is, funny, this is a funny story, I went to uh, Comic-Con in San Diego a couple years ago, and I have a former student that messaged me and said, hey, can you find one of those Fungo, what are they called, fun, Funko Funko things, Funko little, little, little things? Well, little, uh, yeah. Yeah. Little, little figurines little figurines of steven universe and i was like first of all i don't really know what that thing is funko and i also don't know what steven universe is and i had i spent i bet an hour in this gigantic hall at comic-con tracking down these little these little figurines that apparently if you buy you can resell on the internet for like five to ten times the price you purchase which is crazy anyway Steven Universe. It's like the new Beanie Babies. Kind of is, yeah. Right. <laughs> so we've also got Girls, Pose, Master of None, You're the Worst, The Legend of Korra, The Deuce. Key and Peel, which I also love. Especially, I mean, obviously, I got to mention the Substitute Teacher episode. That's, the, that's for me as a teacher. That's pretty that's amazing. A good, that's a good one. All of those are good. There are so many other good ones, too. Uh, Catastrophe. The Good Place, oh, what a good show! Something, something we've talked about before. Oh, I know. It's just, it's just every time I think about it, it's just so good. Sorry for not having a more robust vocabulary to describe that show, but it's just, it's just so good. <laughs> Enlightened, Treme, Broad City, and Veep, Boardwalk Empire, Watchmen, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Brockmire, Longmire. I had seen all of those in that list except for Brockmire. And I got to tell you, if you haven't seen Longmire, watch it. It's on, it's on Netflix. And it's basically about a, a sheriff in, I believe, Montana or, or one of the Dakotas. I can't remember. He goes back and forth. And uh, it's, it's really good. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. We already mentioned Orange is the New Black. Obviously, it's a big one. Review. Bob's Burgers. Halt and Catch Fire. That's another show that is very underrated but it's kind of about like the tech boom and the internet boom and kind of, it's not necessarily a true story, but it's, it's an interesting kind of, it's almost like rewriting history type thing. Like almost like a thing that Quentin Tarantino does, but it's about like the beginning of the internet. Very, very good. We've got Hannibal, Fargo, Game of Thrones, Twin Peaks, The Return, Community, Walking Dead. You can, you can imagine I didn't watch The Return of Twin Peaks because the original Twin Peaks has has scarred me so deeply. I mean, 
my aunt made me not made me but allowed me to watch the original twin peaks when i was i'm pretty sure in grade school maybe sixth grade that's a that's a mentally scarring television show that show is messed up and anyway i'll go back and watch it at some point but the problem is i don't want to watch it like unless it's sunny outside in the middle of the day and Jana's in the house so you know it's it's hard to find time to do that. You should like set up a TV and watch it outside. I should be watching it right now. After this podcast, I'm, I should sit. I should sit. I sit outside on the deck and watch it. That way, I know I'm safe. Uh, it's messed up. Okay, so you said Walking Dead. Of course, also Fear the Walking Dead came out. Show called Terriers. Better Call Saul, which I would argue this. I don't want to be sacrilegious. It's not necessarily better than than Breaking Bad, but man, it's it's like one A one B. It is so freaking good. I didn't think it was going to be that good, but man, it just gets gets get better every season. Better things, rectify, and then my boy Timothy Oliphant from Justified. Oh, that's a good show. And then Atlanta, BoJack Horseman. You know the the show that you previously Breaking Bad, Parks and Rec, your favorite, The Leftovers, Show Me a Hero. There's so many good shows on this list. I want to talk about all of them, but I can't talk about all of them. But I will say BoJack Horseman. Uh, it's about a horse that has was in a sitcom, and now it's like post-sitcom. And it's, he's still like a celebrity. Not really, but he's, he's like a fallen celebrity. And it's, it's, I, can't, I can't explain to you how funny it is. It's pretty great. That's also on Netflix. We've got Children's Hospital. Last week with John Oliver. That's on HBO. Broadchurch. OJ Made in America, which was a miniseries, kind of. It was a miniseries, right? Yeah, pretty fantastic. Sense Eight, we got to mention. Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. Parts unknown. And then we've got Looking, Fringe, a fantastic show. If you haven't seen it, Drunk History. So good. <laughs> <laughs> pretty little, Pretty Little Lies or Pretty Little Liars. Uh, it's that there's I think two it's different pr- I think, shows. I think it. Oh, I think both. Well, we'll just say both. We'll say both. Uh, Penny Dreadful, uh, probably the original, but there's also well, there's one going on right now, and then Westworld. What's that? City of Angels or something like that? Yeah, with um Natalie Dormer. Yeah, that's right. Pretty Little Lies. That's the one that is on HBO, I believe, with Reese Witherspoon. And then Pretty Little Liars. That's like a. Oh, Jordan, Jordan, used, Jordan used to watch that, and I don't think that was 2010s. I think that, that might have been last decade. I don't know. Okay, yeah, that might have been last decade. No, no, it was this decade. Just kidding. It was early. I just, every time Any. I think of drunk, every time I think of drunk history, and, and I think the show was actually an SNL, like, a weekly episode, but I'm, I, I think about the originals, the original ones, where, uh, where one of the, what's his name, William and Harrison, the president that died, like, after being in office for 30 days or whatever it is, and they're, yeah. they're like, they're trying to cure him. They're like, they're just throwing... They're just throwing leeches and shit and snakes. And then you see like you see these doctors just throwing plastic snakes and leeches at him while he's dying in the bed. It's it's so good. And the guy who's playing the president is uh what's his name from um Brian uh Brandanowitz from Parks and Recreation, the first couple seasons. I know too much about that. All right, Silicon Valley, Orphan Black, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which you've told me is pretty great, right? It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Amazon, check it out. Uh, the show Glow, which I'll tell you is really good. It's about women's wrestling. Uh, man, it's great. DC, now, here's the, here are the shows I like. And, and, and you make go. fun of me all you want, but man, I love them. DC's Legends of Tomorrow, that one's okay. Arrow, that's the best one. So my, my brother and his son watch these shows, so they're, they're very into these as well. I, I never got into them, but you know, especially this one, The Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was another one. Supergirl, American Vandal. One show that I've heard really good things about: Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, it's those last two shows you just mentioned. Un- <laughs> Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is hilarious, especially if you like, let's say, Thirty Rock. And American Vandal is it's like a crime show documentary type, almost like written like serial, but it's it's a joke. Like the the, se- the criminal in the second. Uh, second series is called the Turd Burglar, and it's this, it's this, it's a school, and it's guy it's a guy who like basically creates poop bombs 
Like, and it, it's they make it to like this serious criminal, but it's just the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened. The first, the first one is about a kid who draws dicks on everything, and they're, try, they're trying to figure out who drew the dicks on all the cars in the teacher's parking lot, and it's like this ten episode like crime show. But it's just so ridiculous. Oh man, American Vandal. Yeah, that's good. I was sad so, when they didn't do a third season. Sorry. Sp- speaking of ridiculous Archer, which yeah. is just. Uh, I, I've only seen a handful of episodes, but um, Matt is super into Archer, loves it. A show that you've mentioned, and we did a deep dive on it, Schitt's Creek. Mm-hmm. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the show that just keeps on giving every season. You're, you're the worst. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the name of a show, You're the Worst. One, one that I like to veg out on is called The Great British Bake Off, which is uh, I've talked about in the past. American Crime Story, Mad Men. Of course, got to mention Mad Men. That's solid, and also the One Hundred, which is a which is a sneaky good show. Um, Rick and Morty, uh, Outlander, a show that I that several people have recommended to me. So it might be. I think I'm, it'll be close to the next on my list. Billions, mm-hmm. another show that I started that I kind of stopped watching so i think it's one of those i'm gonna have to restart which but it was really good while i was watching it on the history channel vikings i watched the first like three seasons of that it's really good mm-hmm. and then the the not full house fuller house we'll, we'll round off the list wrap it up with shameless the show called sherlock which is i mean i mean fantastic it's so good Another one, Peaky Blinders, man. Peaky Blinders. I'll give you some advice to Peaky Blinders. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before. If you watch it, turn on the subtitles because otherwise you won't know what half the things they're saying is because they say it so fast. Yes, like, they do. It's, it's like pikey almost. And, that pikey like Cockney accent. Yeah, yeah. And lastly, I, I put this one on here last minute, but and it's only because it's only been out for two seasons and the third one comes out next year. It's Cobra Kai. And... If you have any chances, is that YouTube? It's not anymore. I believe Netflix picked it up, bought it from YouTube. Perfect. That means I can watch it now. Yeah, (laughs) big, big time. And honestly, so there's that was 90 shows we just gave you. And so if you don't have a few from that list that you've either seen and you want to reminisce about, or that you should definitely check out, I don't know what's wrong with you because there are so many great shows from the decade. So you're welcome. But now into the ones we want to talk about. And I have chosen to talk about, for show number one, the show called The Americans. And again, I didn't choose this because it's the best show of the decade. I chose this because I feel like it's the one that's overlooked the most. And I can't remember who said this. It's a quote from somebody. But someone said, what kind of decade, amazing decade of television are we in that no one even knows about The Americans? And that's totally, totally accurate. And if you don't know about the show, it's basically, it's about the height of the Cold War. It's kind of set in the 80s. And two Russian agents are posing as your average American couple and they have kids and they've been living basically in the U S for, for decades now under assumed personalities, but they're still doing a ton of like undercover spy work. Spy work. Yeah. So it debuted on May 27th, 2013 on the FX network. It ran for six seasons and 65 episodes and the finale was May 30th, 2018. Yeah, and it was created and written by Joseph Weisberg, who also did a couple episodes of a show called Falling Skies, as well as Damages. And the person who directed the most episodes, just like most of these series, they're, they're, you know, there's always different directors for different episodes. Chris Long, who directed nine episodes, he's also known for directing a bunch of different things, but mostly The Mentalist and Gilmore Girls. And it stars Carrie Russell as Elizabeth, as Elizabeth Jennings from Waitress and Felicity. Matthew Reese as Philip Jennings, who was a beautiful day in the neighborhood, the post, and he's on, and I haven't, I had them recorded. I haven't seen them yet. The new Perry Mason show on HBO. Yeah. Matthew Reese and Kara Russell are just so good in this. And, you know, I've been obsessed with Kara Russell since Felicity, to be honest with you. And now I'm just mad. I'm just obsessed with Matthew Reese because he is just such, he's so, I'm, I'm watching the Perry Mason show just because he's in it. We've also got, the, he's, his, really he's so good, right? The two kid, the two children, Kedrich uh, Salati and Holly Taylorus Page, or I'm sorry, Holly Taylorus. She plays Page, and then um, Kedrich plays Henry. 
I guess so they're the two kids they're not in a lot but I think that they will be in a lot moving forward because they're 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 also both really really good in it and you kind of see them like and this is a show that I, I one of many that I started but then I never finished so when I do watch it I'm just going to go back and rewatch the whole thing you kind of see them grow up on the show where they start off as like little kids and then they just like you you really see them grow up and kind of you know start having more integral parts in the story instead of just kind of along the side yeah especially um, especially the daughter especially the daughter yeah uh noah emmerich as stan beeman the fbi agent he was from the truman show frequency but then also miracle oh yeah <laughs> and uh costa ronan as oleg buroff from homeland and once upon a time in hollywood yeah, I mean it's a it's a really pretty small like main cast, but I I, I can't think of anybody I would have recast any of these roles because they all just do a, a, a pretty amazing job. And no, Emmerich, like he's one of those guys that you forget how good he is, and you see him in something like this, and you're like, man, that guy, he's a heck of an actor. So and anyway, a little bit of nerd facts about this show, and and it's it's first of all, it's inspired by the real life arrest of several, and I'm gonna use this word. And it's because this is what they called them back then. They were called illegals. They're, they, they're also called that in the show. But what illegals were, according to the U.S. government, basically, is that they were ba- essentially spies that were married couples. And, and, and basically, these people got arrested in 2010. And that's kind of where the show in, was inspired from. And I, well, I'll talk about more of, that, more of that in a second. So the most famous of the illegals caught in opera quote, Operation Ghost Stories was Anna Chapman, who is now a TV host and model in Russia following a U.S. spy trade. The show's creators chose to set the Americans during the Cold War as it's a period in history where the rivalry between the U.S. and Russia was was more pronounced than it seemed, you know, in 2010. I mean, isn't that weird to think that there are still spies? I mean, of course, I'm not naive enough to think there aren't spies, you know, from especially from Russia and from other major countries. Oh yeah, but the fact the fact that this was 2010 when these people were caught uh, it just seems so surreal. I guess Carrie Russell's character Elizabeth was based on the CIA's first female spy deployed in USSR in the USSR, who's named Martha Peterson, and she wrote her own experience in a book called The Widow Spy. Peterson actually joined the CIA after learning Russian. She revealed her spy career when her two children were 17 and 15 which is, is depicted in the, actual, uh, in the actual show. Right. And it was also revealed that the Martha character storyline marrying a government official to gain access arc was also inspired from real-life CIA spy operations. And the show was created by a former CIA agent. And so Joe Weisberg actually worked for the CIA from 1990 to 1994 after wanting to be a spy when he read John Lecaire's The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. And on his very first day, he realized he, had, he basically made a mistake. And he says, quote, while I was taking the polygraph exam to get in, they asked the question, are you joining the CIA in order to gain experience about the intelligence community so you can write about it later? Which had never, which had never occurred to me. <laughs> he basically said, I totally joined the CIA because I wanted to be a spy. But the second they asked that question, then I thought, now I'm going to fail the test. So, <laughs> so he wanted to be a spy. And that's basically why he wanted to be in the CIA. And I guess the CIA kind of wants you to be there for maybe some, some different reasons. Yeah. So before, before shooting for the series began, Weisberg taught the leads and some of the producers and directors how to surveil others and how to recognize if you're being followed. One trick he taught them is that if you, can, if you just cross the street, you, look, you can look around without drawing any suspicion. Probably good skills for all of us to have. Which makes sense because you're supposed to look both ways before you cross the street. Yeah, yeah. So actually every one of his scripts for every single episode had to be submitted to the CIA's Publications Review Board one month before shooting. And he basically said, listen, they asked for a month, but that's, that's pretty unreasonable. Sometimes you're, you're on the fly rewriting things kind of overnight. A lot of you know, directors say that or writers say that. So he would have to put in what's called a request to expedite in order to get it approved isn't that what kind of level of stress does that put you on that not only is it something you were trying to make like popular for people to watch but also the cia has to approve the script but yeah that's just well yeah and like you like you mentioned like for rewrites and this and like 
So if you change one thing, you got to submit it again for approval. And then what, you got to wait another month? No, they've got deadlines and budget to keep. So like, yeah, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. So hopefully you start making friends with the people on the publication review board so you can you know, have them do you a solid or a few solids. Mm -hmm. So the writers decided not to have Philip and Elizabeth destroy Ronald Reagan's strategic defense initiative project, AKA Star Wars on the show for historical reasons. <laughs> yeah, it may have been a little ridiculous. And isn't that it, like speaking of ridiculous that this was actually called Star Wars? <laughs> you know. Hey, now we have we have Space Force now. We got Space Force now. There's a lot of clever <laughs> clever names. So in one of the episodes there's a song from Queen and David Bowie that's called Under Pressure, which I think we probably know. Pretty well-known mm -hmm. song. And they they found when screening it that was that was a much more popular uh, song choice than what was originally chosen which was a dire straits if i had you so what they basically had to you know they had to get approval but they found out that bowie had bowie had apparently emailed at some point saying hey i'm a fan of the americans previously and so basically just approved using that song like on the spot like yep sounds good use under pressure that's awesome <laughs> I, like your, I like your show you can use it <laughs> i like your show use my song <laughs> So Russell and Reese have been a real-life couple now since 2013, the same year the show first premiered on FX, and they also have a son together. Yeah, I, I didn't know that until I was doing some research on this. The on-screen romance. The on-screen romance happens all the time. Just ask Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Mm -hmm. President Barack Obama was such an avid fan of the series, he invited stars Russell and Reese to a state dinner at the White House celebrating the first official visit of Singapore's Prime Minister, in August of 2016. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All its seasons were shot in Brooklyn during the fall or winter seasons. Carrie Russell has said that even though the stark coldness often exasperated the fatigue among cast and crew, it also greatly, greatly lent itself to the de-glamorized, gritty atmosphere required for the show, noting it often felt like making an indie movie, which kept things exciting. Yeah, they do look beat up a lot in that show, especially as the seasons progress. <laughs> they always yeah, they look, do. They look disheveled. They look like they've gotten no sleep. They're always on edge. They're very twitchy. <laughs> Which I guess if you've been a spy in a foreign country for, you know, 20 years or whatever it is, and the FBI is honing in on you and you got kids. It's going to take its toll. I'd be a little twitchy too. Yeah. So in the opening credits, each actor's name appears briefly in uh, Cyrillic script, which is the alphabet used in Russian as well as several, uh, several other languages spoken in formerly communist countries. And basically it has their names and then they're covered up by the familiar Roman alphabet version. So it's kind of symbolic of coming from a communist country and now they are acclimating and changing into to appear like they're part of the U.S. So we've talked about some nerd facts, but let's talk about, you know, since this show is kind of, you know, based on history and based on a, like an actual, like a legals program, how realistic is it? So the illegals program, so named by the United States Department of Justice, was a network of Russian sleeper agents under non-official cover. An investigation by the FBI culminated in the arrest of 10 agents on June 27, 2010, and a prisoner exchange between Russia and the United States on July 9th of the same year. So it's fair to say that I think the concept is pretty accurate, but mm -hmm. obviously they took a lot of liberties to change the decades to make it maybe a little more entertaining and make totally. more sense, right? And add make it more, more relevant. Like and add more drama. War, like, yeah. That, that's the U.S. and Russia. And I think that you don't, I think I would assume that nowadays a lot of the espionage is like, let's call it digital espionage, maybe not quite as, as glitzy and glamorous and, and maybe can't fill, you know, 60 episodes. <laughs> well, as, as following someone in a car or, you know, secret meetings and yeah, no. Right. It's digital. You're right. So these next few things kind of come from a gentleman named Dr. John Prados, who is a historian of intelligence and a senior fellow of the National Security Archive in Washington, D.C. So he kind of knows his stuff. And so we talked a little bit about like what's, what's pretty accurate, what's not accurate. And he said, so first of all, being a spy is much more boring than portrayed, which is what we just kind of said. Essentially, there's just, lot, just you just take photos and follow people, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> the Russians, the Russians actually used the illegals in waves. There was 
that wave in the 50s and then there was another there was another very recent wave that was uncovered which presumably began in the 80s right kgb officers have often used the tactic of seduction against americans and others who were in russia not surprising clayton lone tree is one of the most important examples of that he was actually an american marine he was guarding the moscow embassy in the 80s and he helped the spy who seduced him that sounds like a bond movie the spy who seduced him to bug the building. There's also a famous case of a French ambassador by the name of Maurice Dijon, who was subjected to this when he was in Moscow in the mid fifties. So this is, this has been going on for a very long time. And that happens a lot in the show where, where, and it kind of happens on both sides. Yeah. So agents were often the people who recruited the spies. The spy would then infiltrate the area. And then these two did, you know, these two did both, which would have been uncommon. And then having arranged marriages was also not known until the illegals program. But it kind of makes sense that that would have happened, though. I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised by that. That sounds, that sounds like something that, you know, it's more of a business transa- transaction. Let's make sure we put these two agents together that are going to work well together. We don't really care if there's sexual chemistry, right? A Bulgarian by the name of Georgi Markov was poisoned by an umbrella most likely using ricin, which we all know from Breaking, breaking Bad, uh, in, in London in the, in the late 70s. This Very is prob- poisonous. I know, right? This, clearly, clearly, this is probably the inspiration for the second episode of the series. Yeah, ricin's not good. I mean, it killed off Jessica Jones. That's, that's you, know, you know, you know what I'm talking yes. about. She, she played Jessica Jones. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Hopefully okay, everybody cool. else... Hopefully yes. all of the listeners do as well. Um, if not, watch Breaking Bad and Jessica Jones. A big focus of research and development in the intelligence business is, in fact, on communications. The CIA developed high-speed burst transmitters that were highly directional to bounce beams off satellites and move information back and, back and forth to agents in Russia. The Russian resources in that area were less sophisticated. They had their own set of communication devices. Some of them were very good but their constellation of satellites was less ample than the Americans and didn't afford 24 by seven coverage over the whole world. So there would have been windows in which communication was possible and other times when it was not. And they kind of, they kind of portray that a little bit in the show where, yeah. where, where maybe they, you know, they might leave a message and it won't be replied to for another 24 to 48 hours based on like rotations of, of spies and communications. Yeah. Sure. Whatever it might be. <laughs> The last thing kind of from our, from our guy, Dr. John Prados, he actually interviewed an ex-field agent, and this person had begun her career as a disguises officer and basically said, listen, there are a lot of really awesome nuggets, quote, nuggets of authenticity, I oh, mean, I'm pushing that word, nuggets of authenticity that you don't see in other shows. Everything from gadgets to surveillance is done with great care and authenticity, and you can feel that it's not over the top. It's really core to the characters. And so there are, there are a lot of like little things that they're doing to kind of make their surveillance or things they're doing with like their handler, like they're the handlers of their, of their partners, basically. Um, yeah, it, it, so it's, it, there are a lot of little authentic things kind of sprinkled in there. And then real-life Reagan staff member Oliver North, most famous for his role in the Iran-Contra affair, is a fan of the show. He was even helped. He even helped consult on historical accuracy, in particular the Contras training app arc, training camp arc in season two episodes, the new car and Marshall Eagle. So I think kind of the main takeaway from this show, as far as authenticity is concerned, there's a lot of violence and action that happened in the show, and that makes sense. It makes it more entertaining. You got to add drama. But that would have kind of drawn way too much commotion and, and possible recognition that basically there was a lot more, uh, you know, considered things that are considered stealth during the spy era. So it wasn't quite as flashy. I'm sure some of these things may have happened, but it was definitely over the top but for entertainment purposes, I think. It's not all James Bond. Right. <laughs> yeah, so. definitely. So uh, let's talk about, you know, the impact of the show and, you know, the the substantial recognition that it has gotten, even though it's been, you know, as you said earlier, you know, kind of overlooked. Uh, it did win the Golden Globe for Best Television Series, a drama in 2019. 
It also was the winner of a primetime Emmy for the Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series. And of course, that was Matthew Reese in 2008. And it won the Outstanding Writing in 2000, oh, not 2008, sorry, 2018. It also won Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series also in 2018 for the, uh, for the finale. The last episode. And the last episode. And then it also won Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series for Margot Martindale in 2016. And while she didn't win, Carrie Russell was nominated a handful of times for Best Lead Actress as well. Yeah, she's so good. I think that she just kind of, unfortunately, like, like we've mentioned before, there's so many good shows and there's so many good actors and actresses that mm-hmm. she's just up, up against like a really tough, tough crowd. But she was, she was certainly recognized. And so where does it rank? Well, it's an 8.4 overall on IMDb. Now that that's like the tell-all, but it, I mean, the fans and the critics like it. And like I mentioned before, this is just a show that I think really gets overlooked. And it's just, it's just worth seeing because it's such a unique, it's a unique show that you don't see you don't see type of shows like this where you've got these it's like the james bond concept like embedded spies but it's so much deeper than that and amazing acting definitely there there we go the americans the americans i'll have to i gotta restart it and finish it i got pretty far into it so i gotta finish it so the show that i chose um was actually it's actually a relatively recent one that just ended i chose fleabag so why did I pick it? So I was actually doing some research on, you know, kind of trying to figure out which show I was going to pick. And I, I stumbled upon Rolling Stone's list of the top 50 shows of the 2010s. And I kind of went through their list. And I, and honestly, I realized that there were a lot of shows on there that I either haven't seen or hadn't finished. And I wanted to pick something that I had seen all the way through. I was close to picking Breaking Bad, but I wanted to pick something that started and finished in this decade, and I didn't want to pick Game of Thrones because we beat that horse to death. So I chose Fleabag because, one, I have seen it, and two, while it was kind of relatively short-lived, and I don't think they're going to make a third season, I think it's done. I think she kind of wanted to do two seasons, and that was it. It is really good. And really funny. And just a, again, just kind of a different type of show, but very entertaining. It's a very dry, I've seen this, and it's a very dry comedy. And it's very clever. I think the things they're doing <laughs> in the show is just, yeah, it's, 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 it, it's pretty funny. It is. So a little bit about Fleabag. So according to, to IMDb, it's a, a, a dry-witted woman known only as Fleabag has no filter as she navigates life and love in London while trying to cope with a tragedy. The angry, grief-riddled woman tries to heal while rejecting anyone who tries to help her, but Fleabag continues to keep up her bravado through it all. Yeah, yeah, she's just kind of a jerk, <laughs> but, it, she, but it's, it, she's a likable she really jerk. Is. Yeah. It aired, it, well, the, the dates that it aired, it debuted July 21st, 2016. It actually originally aired on BBC Three, but it was picked up by Amazon Prime and premiered on Amazon Prime September 16th, 2016. Like John said, two seasons, 12 episodes. The final season was on April 8th, 2019. So it's a really quick watch. And they're only half hour, like less than half hour. So it's like, if you want to watch Fleabag, you could, you know, pick a Sunday afternoon and you can burn through it. I would say you can knock this out in a day. I I hate to say how quickly Jan and I could finish this, I would imagine, but Yeah. As long as it takes to like keep hitting the button to keep playing. Um, So it was created and written written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And this was pretty much one of the first things she did. And it was directed most all, like 11 of the 12 episodes were directed by Harry Bradbury. And of course, it also starred Phoebe Waller-Bridge as Fleabag. She is a writer for the show called Killing Eve and also is the voice of L337 in Solo. That's a fun little fact. Which is something I did not know. (laughs) I know, right? It also stars uh, Cyan Clifford as Claire, who's from Vanity Fair and Liar. It stars Olivia Coleman as Godmother, who was in The Favorite, who was actually nominated for an award for her portrayal in in that movie. Also in Hot Fuzz. Jenny Rainsford as Boo, who was also in The Favorite and About Time. Bill Patterson as dad, uh, the witches, and Miss Potter. 
And finally, we've got Brett Gelman as Martin, who's from the other guys, and Lemon, as well as Andrew Scott, who I just freaking love as the priest. He's, he's good, yeah. And he's from who, the thing I love him the most from is Moriarty and Sherlock. Sherlock, yep. So he's so good in that. And I think that his character in this, he's got a little bit of that going on. Like he's kind of, he's kind of got like he's on edge a little bit, and he's you're waiting for him just to kind of lose it, but he never quite does it in this show. He's also in Pride. Yeah. So let's talk about um, a few nerd facts. Uh, Fleabag, the nickname of the central character, is also the nickname given to the actress, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, by her family. And the television show was was adapted from her one-woman play of the same name. The play was performed at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe in 2013 and won the first Fringe Award at the same festival. What a unique nickname to give to your child sibling. Fleabag. It doesn't sound very flattering. Well, it's probably not meant to be. Like I, whenever I hear that, I think like, was she, does she have a real pig pen situation going on growing up? Is that kind of where that came from? There's got to be some story around it. Some story where she was probably not clean. <laughs> it, all right so the initial idea of the character came from a challenge by a friend where phoebe waller bridge was asked or tasked with creating a sketch for a 10 minute section in a stand-up storytelling night and that's kind of the inspiration of the whole show yeah and although it's a tv show instead of the default 16 by 9 aspect ratio it is presented in 2.35 by 1 presumably to imbue a cinematic or art house feel to it I think it does have that too. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a sitcom at all. No. If if you just pop in and you start watching it, you actually kind of might think you're watching some type of feature length film, and then the show, the episode ends, and all of a sudden you're on to the next episode. <laughs> like, oh, it's not a movie. The show has actually been remade for French television by Jean Harry, and it's titled Mouche. Did I say that right? Mouche. Moosh, yeah, I think so, because there's no okay. accent on it. Okay, so it's titled Moosh, which is French for fly or the insect. It started airing on June 3rd, 2019 on Pay Channel, which is called Canal Plus. Moosh is a close remake, though set in Paris with Camille Cotton in the starring role. And let me just say something real quick about this whole thing of like recreating a show in a different country. My uncle did this for decades. He would take shows like Seinfeld, Friends, and then go recreate versions of them that are in, in Russia. And basically, you know, you have to change. It's interesting because you have to kind of change your way around the way it's written. You have to change like different scenes because different cultures don't necessarily appreciate comedy in the same ways that, that maybe we do or, or vice versa. So it's a really interesting. It's like a whole career people do is taking a show that's popular in one country and then remaking it in a different country, which I didn't, never even thought about before. I just thought I would think just throw, you know, slap subtitles on there and everyone's going to love it. Right. But Syndicated. That's, yeah. Like that's what not, we do with everything else. Yeah. But, and I think Seinfeld's a really good example because Seinfeld is not necessarily humor that you might, and actually I would say this show too. These are not necessarily humor that you might get or people may pick up on in different countries. Cause it's, it's so, it's so dry and subtle that people may be more offended or like just take it differently. Very true. I think that's very true. I think some people like to, to the listeners out there, you may watch this and you may not like it just because it's, it's a, it's kind of, it's an off brand kind of show and it may just, and that's perfectly fine, but you may not, it may not be your cup of tea. Yeah. So uh, Phoebe Waller bridge stated that the show was not biographical with the exception of certain scenes, which were derived from her life. So this is actually this this could have been the reason why we chose these <laughs> these two shows not to the, the, not to, the Obama connection not to make it political <laughs> though we 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 omitted that not to make it political but it's just so funny so in 2018 or t- December 2019 former U.S. President Obama included Fleabag season two on his annual list of his favorite books movies and music of the year and the subsection under films uh, it was was called TV shows that I considered as powerful as movies. So cool. Obama, Obama loves Fleabag and the Americans. <laughs> Obama approved. Yeah. Uh, Claire and Martin are the only members of Fleabag's immediate family whose names are spoken in scene. 
Fleabag, her dad, her godmother are never addressed by names on screen, and also several prominent supporting characters, including the bank manager and you know a good character, the priest, are never named on screen. They're just that. And another thing about this show is it, it they, they like to call it it breaks the fourth wall, where she talks, she looks and talks to the camera a lot. Yeah, I, I think it adds to it. I know. I think, I think it, it totally adds to it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I, to be honest with you, the reason why I think it adds to it the most is that I think if she doesn't do that, you you don't you don't really sympathize with her at all. You're like, God, she's the worst. Well, yeah, and like, <laughs> right? Yep. She's 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 giving you context on kind of why something's happening or why she's doing it or just understanding the, the inner workings of what's going on in her head. Yeah. Yeah. It's justifying the decisions and the things she's saying and also telling you, almost like giving you a backstory of certain characters that she's interacting with without having to do a whole episode of character development. She True. just turns the screen and goes, Oh, that's aunt. So-and-so she's a real blank, whatever it is. And you're like, Oh, okay. All right. I get it. Or yep. she, that's my aunt. She likes to judge me for no reason on the way I look. Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Now I get your, I get why you're being a director. <laughs> like that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I think it's very cleverly done and it doesn't work. You can't do fourth. You can't break the fourth wall. You can't, you can't pull a Deadpool very often and make it work. But right. they, they do a good job of it. They do. So this show has been recognized. I mean, it's gotten, it's gotten some pretty good critical acclaim. First of all, it was the winner of the Golden Globe for Best Television Series, Musical or Comedy in 2020, so very recently. It was also the winner of the Best Golden Globe Performance by an Actress in a TV Series, Musical or Comedy by Phoebe Waller-Bridge in 2020. And in 2019, it won the Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series, the Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Directing for a Comedy Series, Harry Bradbeer. Same year. It also got the Primetime Emmy for Writing, who was Phoebe Waller-Bridge. It also was the winner of the Outstanding Single Camera Picture Editing for a Comedy Series. That was Gary Dollinger. And it was the winner of the Primetime Emmy Outstanding Cast for a Comedy Series, Olivia Scott Webb got that award in 2019 as well. So, man, they she must have been the, She must have been the casting director. Yeah, but they I'm cleaned assuming. up in they cleaned up in 2019, man. Again, and it was only it, yeah, and that was all the second season, basically, right. the yeah. second and final season. So where does it rank? Um, we talked about IMDb rankings. This has 8.7 on IMDb, and it's actually ranked number 86 on IMDb's top 250 shows listed as rated by IMDb users. However, huge disclaimer is that number, if you actually look at that list, number one and number two are Planet Earth 2 and Planet Earth, followed by Brand of Brothers. So you can you could take that list with a grain of salt, as far as I'm concerned, because it's got, it's got some good shows after that, because that's when you start getting like Game of Thrones, The Wire, Sopranos, et cetera. But you've got some really kind of interesting ones thrown in there that are really all about Earth and geography. Yeah, I wonder what they're. Well, I wonder how this 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 kind of boils down. Like, where why it's where they get their rankings from. But you know, it's, what's it's the it's. I think it's it's the user ranking, so it's the IMDb ranking. So like Planet right. Planet Earth Two has like a nine point four or a nine point five or something like that. So it's because it's number one. Well, who's going on there? Going, oh my god, I can't believe the way they narrated those those the Galapagos yeah. Islands and those those insects and those turtles. Stupid whales. Those penguins are real jerks. <laughs> <laughs> five stars i mean exactly people, exactly people are people are stupid we need we need to actually figure out a way to we need to maybe throw some other rankings on there it's just hard to find rankings nowadays especially given given the streaming services they just don't publish a lot of their information so it's just it's like a crapshoot half the time no definitely so well that's it that's that's the last the last of the decades 2010 wrapped 20, up T- yeah tv yeah, man. Well, I hope you learned something about some some pretty amazing television shows throughout this last decade, especially a couple that are pretty obscure that we both we both recommend you checking out, as well as that whole list. I mean, there's so many great shows on there. Mm, so definitely. to kind of wrap this up, um, let's do some thank yous. You got a thank you? Not really. Um, uh, well, I mentioned my dad, but you know, want to want to thank my dad. Have him good luck. He's getting. He's going under the knife to get hip replacement surgery 
relatively soon. So uh, he had to get his he had to get his uh, COVID nineteen test today because I guess he's got to have a negative test within a certain amount of time of the procedure. So he's actually getting both replaced, but he's going to get one done and then another one done a couple months later. So I good luck, you, Dad. I you, yeah, good luck, Dad. Good luck, Mr. Lambert. That's that's, but that's very smart though, especially if they're in the same calendar year for deductible purposes. So oh, totally. Give him some financial advice. My dad did that with both of his knees. He got one done in like February or something and the next one done in, in like October or something like that, whatever it was. And he's, mm-hmm. he's the bionic man, but he's, he's moving around great. And he saved yeah. lots, of, lots of cash for, for me for later on. So <laughs> thanks to my dad for that as well. But also I want to thank all of our listeners that kind of made, made their way through all of these decades of television. This is something we came up with a couple months ago and thought it would be kind of fun to do. And it's kind of inspired us to do some, some additional series of, of shows, which we'll talk about here in a second. Oh, exciting, exciting stuff. Uh, so if any of you have some future show suggestions, you can, as always, send them via email to nerdsandnewcoolpodcast at gmail.com, or you can use the hashtag nerdsandnewcoolpodcast on any of the socials. If you... I mean, a lot of you already have, but you can continue to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Nerd is the New Cool Podcast. Also on Twitter at Nerd is the CO2. And you can listen to us everywhere where podcasts are available. Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Just search for Nerd is the New Cool Podcast. So as I kind of mentioned, we're gonna, our next episode is going to be the beginning of a, a – we're going to do a couple different type of series episodes here. This one's going to really be pretty fun, I think. We're going to kind of compare and contrast two of our favorite movies, but we're going to choose them based on a, like a, a style of movie. So, a theme. A theme, right? So the first theme, we're going to pick our two favorite breakup films and, and go through both films and different areas of each film and kind of compare and contrast and choose who has the best – uh, of different parts of the film and eventually maybe crown a winner. So best breakup films. Look, look forward to that in a couple weeks. Definitely excited about that one. Yeah. I think it's be pretty cool. Couple good movies. Yeah. Yeah. We got a, a lot of, a lot of good ones to talk about. So, well, thanks for joining us and until next time, we'll see you. Thanks everyone. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>